morning. It's good to be back. Been away a couple weeks here in June. It's always tricky on holiday weekends because you never know who's really here. So thanks for being with us, you holy remnant, you. Um, this morning, um, we uh, before I get started, as the kids and youth leave, uh, just a quick announcement. We kind of did in the beginning of the church to talk about the announcements, but we talked about baptism. Um, so I wanted to personally invite you all to baptism as well. Um, we are planning to host it next weekend, uh, Pastor Linda's um, house. Like, so we're going to have another Creek baptism, so we're really excited about that. Uh, we're going to have a class here on Wednesday night at 6.30. Um, this is for anyone who's interested in baptism. Baptism is something that Jesus commands us to do, to not only go and make disciples, but baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, and we believe in that as a body. We celebrate that, um, and we want to invite anyone who has made that decision to follow Jesus, but then wants to take this public declaration of their faith. And that's what the class is all about, to kind of talk about that. So please, please, if you're interested in doing that and following Jesus in obedience, you know, the Spirit invites us to salvation, the Spirit invites us to baptism, and we want to be a congregation that, that supports you and invites you to do that as well. So if you're interested in that, talk to me after the service or email or call me this week. We'd love to have more people sign up for the class, and we'd love to, to be able to celebrate again together next week. So that'll be after our services next week, um, so in the afternoon. Uh, this weekend is 4th of July weekend, uh, which is why I was teasing about the holiday. Um, Isabel Wilkerson, who is a brilliant um, journalist and, and historian, um, has two books, uh, the, the Warmth of Other Suns and Cast, who are about this thick, you know, it's like you read it on audiobook and it's like three months later and you're still going, right? Um, but it's worth it. Um, it's better than anything I got in AP history in high school. Just recounting everything from the Great Migration to how it affected African-American families probably in the last 100, 150 years. Um, this weekend she put a post up that, that kind of reminded us that, you know, uh, um, a lot of things that happened in America wasn't that long ago, right? And on the post she celebrates Fourth of July by pointing out that, you know, tomorrow as we gather for our 4th of July celebration, it'll be actually America's 246th um, birthday, right? So since 1776. But she also points out that, you know, after you get through Monday and 4th of July, on Tuesday, y'all are all going to make history. You will be the, the first born or first group of Americans, right? Or people even in America who have existed, right, um, longer than America had slavery. Because from 1619 to, to 1865, uh, Emancipation Proclamation, um, slavery was the law of the land for 246 years. That's how long we had slavery in this country. Yet from 1776 to, to 2022 is another 246 years. So on Tuesday, for the first time ever in America, we will have been more independent than we were enslavers. Right. And and so I, I want to kind of us to sit with that, not because I don't like hot dogs and hamburgers as we celebrate tomorrow, but to remind us. Right. That this idea of freedom, this idea of being called to be free is not something we ought to be taken for granted. Last week, I preached at a, a Mennonite church in Lancaster and we were talking about what does it mean to be called to be free? And we're kind of founded on this verse in Galatians 5.13 that says, you, my brothers and sisters, in the Greek, there's that Adelphoi or brethren again, right? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
And so as we think about our freedom and what does it mean to be free, are we doing it to, to stand in my right to my flesh and what I get, or are we literally living in the spirit and for the kingdom? Fannie Lou Hamer, who's one of my great heroes, a great saint of old. If you don't know about Fannie Lou Hamer, please do read about her. She's amazing. She was a grandchild of enslaved people. She was a sharecropper who, and it's funny because we're, we're going to talk about this maybe a little bit more next week because James is addressing landowners, right? So she was, her grandparents were enslaved. She was a sharecropper cropper down south and and so she writes and is on on uh, in, in, in uh, uh, her book but she writes and talks about how every time her family would get the profits the landowner would steal from them right the christian landowner would steal from them and this isn't that long ago this is someone who lived in the 20th century and she 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 faced you know i like to say that she faced everything a black woman could suffer in america yet she still believed and held on to jesus this is a lady who was forced to be sterilized. This is a lady who was beaten by police. This is a lady who was uh, uh, oppressed by, by Democrats and Republicans because she dared think that black people should vote, right? And this is a lady who would gather people around to, 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 to not only line up to go vote, but how she would do it was she would sing hymns and Negro spirituals, right? So Fannie Lou Hamer, there's this great saint of old who saw the freedom, right? Not as something that I want, but what's better for, for my sisters and brothers? She has this famous line, right? When she was standing up to the president, right? She has this interview that, 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 that was amazing, right? And Linda B. Johnson tried to have a fake press conference and like everyone was like, why are you doing? We need to listen to her more now. But in this interview, she has many lines, but one of the things that she's known for is she says this, right? We're not free until everybody is free. And I love that. And that's always held on to that. Because in this country, when we have this idea of freedom, it's usually freedom for me or the rights that I have. But as Christians, right, what does it mean that we're free? Well, we're not free until everyone is free. And we sang this morning, by his blood and in his name, his free, in his freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. That's what we ought to be living for and working for. In this world, in every single breath, are we living and walking in our freedom? Are we living and working for the freedom of others? Are we living and working for ourselves? Are we living and working for our sisters and brothers, right? What are we doing with this freedom? The freedom that Christ has gifted us, is it for our flesh so we can do what we want? Is it for our flesh because it's just for me and mine? Or is it for the body of Christ? Is the freedom for me or for the kingdom? And I think that's an important question to kind of lodge in our brains because as we dive and continue here on James, especially in chapter 4, we have this question that James keeps asking us, right? What does life in Christ look like? What does it mean to follow Christ, right? And we say this is a lifetime question. This is the question we should ask ourselves every single day. And it's a question we're going to consistently ask during this series. And James's answer is going to always be some version of this, right? Life in Christ must be, lived, must be known in our heads, must be held in our hearts, must be lived with our hands, right? It has to be not just what we know or what we feel, but how we live. So in light of this freedom that we have in Christ, right, James is going to ask us, what does it mean to be free? But what does it mean to live for God and not self? To live for the kingdom and not empires? To live for your sisters and brothers and not just me and mine? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 13 to 17, um, starting at verse 13. James says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? 
You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. In this passage, James is again saying that our faith must show up in our beliefs, in our life, in our practice. But he also echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6. At the end of Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, that's that famous passage where Jesus says, Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your body, what you will wear. Do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about today. And in that passage, Jesus says not to worry, but to what? Seek first the kingdom of God. And it's that teaching, I believe, that echoes in James' words here as he challenges us. What does it mean to follow Christ? It means we ought to be living for the kingdom. Amen? Let's pray to God. Father, God, we thank you so much that we have been set free. That is the Holy Spirit that has convicted us and called us to you. That is you, Jesus, our Savior, who came to show us how to live and love to please God, who went to Calvary Street to die for our sins, who was resurrected to show that sin and death and darkness has been defeated, who has sent us out to be your disciples, to go out and, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we thank you, God, our Father, that you're the one who so loved us. You loved us with that special love. You love us so that we can not only be a part of your kingdom, but be a part of the body, the body of your son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we think about not just our freedom, as we think about not just the things we're blessed with, but as we think this morning of what does it mean to live for the kingdom, may we be people who glorify you. May we be a body that brings honor and glory to you. And may we be a family that shares the love of Christ. In your holy and precious name, amen. So in James, we've been talking about throughout the four chapters, right, where one of the things that is going to go through James is he's going to talk about we're either living by the spirit or living by the flesh. In chapter four specifically, James says, listen, you got to submit everything to God. Even the things that you want to ask for, your prayer requests, your ask, you have to submit them to God. And before you even ask, you have to submit your motives to God. So it's not just, God, can I have this? It's like, well, why do you want to have that? Submit the motives to God. And then James says, because if you're not submitting to God, you're going to be reliant on self. And if you're reliant on self, you're going to be a prideful person. But it's not the prideful that God sees, it's the humble. So, so submit everything to God, yes, but live in a way that you're surrendering and su submitting in humility before God. And then James continues in the chapter 4 by saying, you know, how we submit to God consistently, how we draw near to God is not only important, but we need to recognize that we're either drawing nearer to God or drawing nearer to our world. We're either drawing nearer to God or drawing nearer to sin and sinners. So the goal of every Christian is, how am I drawing closer to God? And so the answer he gives us in chapter 4 is two things, right? One, first, be humble and humble yourself. If you're willing to submit and surrender to the Spirit, if you're willing to submit and surrender to Jesus, if you're willing to say, Jesus is Lord and I am not, and I'm willing to come under what Jesus says, what Jesus calls me to do, if I'm willing to submit to God our Father, God will see us and lift us up. 
And right before our section, he reminds us that part of this humility comes in our words. Another theme that he's brought up throughout these four chapters is that what we say matters. And we're either going to be people who build each other up in encouragement and empowerment, or we're going to be people who tear each other down and destroy one another with our words. So be accountable for what you say. So for James, the, the call here is we're either living for ourselves or living for God and others. We're either living to build our own empires or we're living for the kingdom. We're either living for God or living for the world. And this is the binary thinking, right? He makes it fairly black and white. You're either here or you're here. And today he's going to challenge us to live for the kingdom. So he begins, right, with this invitation, an invitation that's really a, a reminder or a warning for those of you who are blessed to be parents or those of you who have any authority. You know what an invitation that's a reminder, that's a warning is, right? When you look at the child and you say, what are you doing? Are you sure? Or my favorite, are you serious right now? All of these, right, are invitations that are reminders that are warnings, right? Are you sure this is what you want to be doing? Are you serious right now? And so James begins with that sense when he says, now listen, you who say. He's inviting them, right? Now, I also have to say this, I think this is important. We sometimes read this passage, and for those of us who don't like to plan, we read this passage and we say, yeah, look at y'all, yeah. All you planners out there, this is for you, right? But here's the thing. We need you. For those of us who don't like to plan, like you are literally lifesavers. You know, my friend Ryan was here in the earlier service, and I was just like, listen, we went to London, and I had an itinerary. I had, like, like everything, like my, my bus passes, train passes, plane tickets. Everything was just laid out, right? And I was just sitting there like, man, if Ryan didn't plan this trip, I'd still be in London right now with COVID, right? Like, there was nothing I had to worry about. He just mapped it all out, right? This passage is not against people who plan. God bless you. Walk in your gift. We need you. You are a blessing for the kingdom, right? This isn't about that. But this is about how we plan. This isn't just God doesn't like you because you plan, right? This is not against planning, but it's against the presumption as you plan. It's against your posture when you plan. It's against your position in the planning. God and through James is writing us here, right, to not make plans presuming we know what we're doing. To not make plans with the posture of like, you know what, um, God, I'm just going to need to know basis. I'm going to let you know what's going on. I'm going to catch you up, right? To, to not make plans with our position of like, you know what, I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. The challenge isn't do not plan. It's do not make plans without God. And that's a challenge to us because we're good at making plans for ourselves, for our future, for our children and grandkids. We're good at making plans for what house we'll buy, what neighborhood we'll move into, what church we'll go to. You know, we're good at making plans for what job we'll take, what, what, what raise we'll take at that job, right? We're good at making all those plans. And James is saying, no, 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 no. If you are going to make plans, do not make them with the presumption that you're in control. Do not make them with the posture that God is on a need to know basis. And do not make them in the position that you are Lord. And how he counters that is, is by saying, listen, I'm writing to you to remind you that God must be in control. And if God must be in control, you must surrender. The other thing that's happening in this passage, right, is that James at the end of chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5 is actually primarily referencing two different groups. In chapter 5, it's the rich rich, right? It's the people who were landowners and had lots and lots of more money. 
But what's fascinating is at the end of chapter 4, he's talking to merchants. Right? He's talking to people who we'd probably consider middle class. Like, they weren't rich, rich, but they were okay. <laughs> like, they were comfortably okay. And these are people whose job was, was basically to, to go from city to city, to set up shop, to put up the tent on Monday in, you know, maybe Samaria. Then, then Tuesday you'll go to Baghdad. You know, then Friday you'll go to Jerusalem. Their whole job was setting up shop and going and going and going. Now, what's careful, what's interesting here is that James says, okay, to you people, who need to make plans, who have to make plans, right? I want you to be careful. Again, not against planning, but be careful of making plans apart from God. Be careful when you have certainty in your plans. You might have, you know, Jerusalem, Samaria, Baghdad in the planning thing, but be careful when there's certainty in your plans. I learned that the hard way. About 15, 16 years ago, I decided I needed to get out of Philadelphia. It was too toxic. Like, I needed, like, a year sabbatical and break. I'm on year 16, right? Like, be careful when you make plans and you're so certain of it. I told everybody, I'm going for a year to Harrisburg, and I'm going to come back. Philly is my home. Year 16, we are still here. Right? Be careful of the certainty of these. Now, I'm not saying this is about boasting. Y'all can't be clapping that stuff. We're trying to work on both. Yeah, we're trying to work on that right now. Like, y'all just got work with me, you know? Be careful when you have certainty of plans of saying, this is what I'm going to do, and when you're doing it apart from God. But also, be careful when you have clarity of your business, right? Clarity like, this is what God called me to do. I shudder when people say that to me. It's like, God has told me I need to do this. I'm like, whoo, you sure? Because someday you're going to have to answer for that. Like, God's going to be like, did I really tell you to do this? You know, like, did I really? Was that really me, Right? Be careful when you're so certain this is what God has called you to do, especially if what God has called you to do has been a decision that's made not in conversation with God, not in submission and surrender to the Spirit, and not with Jesus at the center of it all, right? So how do we have clarity and this is what I'm supposed to be do? And this is what James is saying. When you're certainty of plans without God, be careful. When you have clarity, this is the business you should be doing, be careful. And then the last one, it says, be careful if your life is about a commitment to make money. If that's the basis of your life, and this is something we have to own as Americans or even as people in America. One of the things we tell you in America is what? Part of the American dream is what? Doing better than your parents, right? And for some of us who can maybe achieve that, part of the American dream is what? Bigger, better, faster, right? Like, that's what it is. And this is not just a critique against materialism, right? This is not just a critique about all the things we have, right? But this is James saying, is money your God? The neighborhood you live in, the job you have, the friends you have, the, the life that you have, all the hours in the week that you have, are you doing it primarily to stack up your bank account? Or are you doing it for God and the kingdom? Are you living your life with all these things God's blessed you with to hold on to your own blessings and your empire? Or are you living and using all these gifts somehow for the kingdom? When I was in high school, I had a Spanish teacher, Sinera Bonet, and she would always say to me at least four times during the class, Ten cuidado, Enrique. Ten cuidado, right? And if she didn't say that at least four times, I knew she was depressed, right? Because if you, you got to use your imagination on this. I would skirt the line a little bit. Whatever the line was, I'd be over it, right? Just to make sure she was alive. It was my gift to her every day, right? But she would always say, ten cuidado, right? And what that means is what? Be careful. Watch yourself. 
be on guard, right? If you like the C words I've been using, right, where certainty, clarity, commitment, cuidado. But if you like a Bible one, right, if you like a Bible one, it's circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. If you have certainty that this is the plan that God has for you, walk circumspectly. If you have certainty this is the, the job or the place that God has you to be, walk circumspectly. If you're living a life where your commitment is to money and not God and the kingdom, walk circumspectly. Ten cuidado. That's the warning James gives. Be careful not of planning, but of making your plans apart from God. And he says also then, be careful because your plans... You're making, not only are they apart from God, but you're making them forgetting your own limitations. Because here's the thing, tomorrow is unknown to you. Every single one of us in this room has woken up on a Monday maybe, and by Tuesday, 24 hours later, our whole lives have changed. Every one of us in this room has been in situations where we wake up and we go to work, right? And maybe by that afternoon, your whole life is upside down. Maybe it's someone you love that you've lost because they've gone on. Maybe it's a job you had or thought you had, and that job is gone. But the, the, tomorrow is not promised to us, and it's not just in the breaths that we breathe, right? The gift of the breath that God gives in us is the fact that every single thing could be gone in 24 hours. Tomorrow is unknown to you. But here's the thing that James even doubles down on. Today is unknown to you. You don't know what really will happen this afternoon. I don't know what will happen when I get in my car and try to go home. I don't know what phone call I might get at 3 o'clock this afternoon. James is doubling down by saying, you're making all these plans when you can't even guarantee tomorrow. You're making all these plans when you can't even guarantee today. What is life even to you? There's a famous story, a legend, like a, a, a child story, which I know somewhere along the line, you know, we told these kids stories, but a lot of them are terrifying when you look at them deeply. But we'll just go with it, right? There's a story that comes out of the Middle East, and it was about a merchant and a servant, right? Which is great for this servant. So the merchant sends out the servant and says, listen, we have some guests coming this week. Here's the list of items. I need you to buy everything. Um, go and, you know, purchase everything. We'll be set up for the week. The servant says, thank you, master. This sounds good. He goes to the market. Now, when he gets to the market, he sees death, lady death, and he's petrified. Now, I have to pause here and digress because I've always struggled with this since I was a kid, right? It's confessional time. I've always struggled why black people in this country are called colored, right? Because it's the white people who are colored. Like, y'all do peach, tan, blue, green, red. Like, y'all just do the whole rainbow, and we get to be the colored folks. Like, I've always struggled with that, right? But I digress. The servant goes, right? And this is the Middle East, so you have to figure he's at least got a good tan on, right? But he's so terrified of Lady Death, right? He sees Death, and he's so terrified, he runs back. He doesn't purchase anything. He doesn't buy anything on the list. He goes to the master. The master's like, what is going on? He goes, I just saw Death. And, you know, it's like, well, breathe, breathe. You're good. You're here. Obviously, she's not here for you. You're good. Uh, you're okay. And he's like, I need to go because she looked at me. So the master's like, fine, you know, take a horse, right? And, and we're in Samaria, so take a horse, go to Baghdad, go to that market, right? The master then still has the guests coming, you know, so he now has to go to the market. He gets to the market, and he's, he's, he's purchasing his items, and who does he run into? Lady Death. And he goes to Lady Death, and he's like, hey, 
Why did you scare my servant like that? All I did was I sent him to the market because I wanted him to, to buy stuff for these guests coming this week. And Lady Death says, well, I was confused why he was so scared because my appointment for him isn't until tomorrow in Baghdad. Right? None of us know what tomorrow will bring. We can make all of our plans, and tomorrow might not be the tomorrow we envisioned, right? This life, James says, what is even life to you? Jesus says it like this, right? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This life, what is life even to you? Ten, cuidado. Do not make plans apart from God. Do not be certain of these plans when they're apart from God. Do not, do not make these plans or, or for tomorrow and today like you're in control. Ten cuidado. And then he ends the passage by giving us some advice, right? And this advice is really like a reminder and also a warning. And so how do we walk circumspectly? How do we keep our, our, our decisions and our planning with God at the center, in submission to the Spirit, trusting God and God alone? Well, here's what James says. Number one, be comfortable. Be comfortable trusting God's will for you. It doesn't mean you need to know perfectly God's will. It doesn't mean you need to know perfectly the future, right? It doesn't mean you need to know perfectly how it's all going to end up, right? All you have to do is trust in God and God's will for your good. Trust that the God of this universe is working together for your good. And the way you do that is by relying on God and God alone in every day, in every way, in every breath, in every minute, every single breath that you have. Are you relying on God and God alone? Be comfortable trusting and relying on God. And then because it's James, he gives you some more practical advice, right? And he ends with this, right? We talk about boasting. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. For James, if you're going to live by the spirit and not by the flesh, if you're going to live for the kingdom and not for these empires, if you're going to live for God and others and not yourself, you cannot be a person who boasts. And here's the genius of this teaching. All of us have experienced, have boasted, have seen boasting, and none of us like it. When someone boasts, it's annoying and it's arrogant. When someone boasts, they might be confident, but they're conceited. None of us like it. And the, the, the irony, though, that I thought about this week, though, is what normally happens, though, right, is that person might just be minding their own business, right? And they walk by us like, who she thinks she is, right? And, and you move. You move from thinking that person is arrogant and cocky and, and conceited to, to you being arrogant and cocky and conceited, right? You move from worried about them being a boastful person to, to you becoming a boastful person. So while no one likes boasting, like all things in life, right, there's not only the light and the dark, like all things in life, it's possible that the thing we hate the most is the thing we most easily exhibit to. So for James, it's not just enough for you to hate boasting, but if you're boasting with reliance on self, if what you boast in is what you've accomplished or, or, or what comes before your name or what is sitting in your bank account or the size of your house or the pride you have in your family or your job, if your boasting is reliance on yourself, James says that is evil. 
So this isn't just a theological thing of like, yeah, I need to rely on God. James is saying if you're so reliant on yourself that what you stand on is not Christ and his death and resurrection. It's not Christ and his love for you in this world. It's not God and the spirit. If what you stand on is yourself, that is evil. Do not be a boaster. Instead, be a booster. My kids like this part of the summer, the sermon because they're starting to get rid of their booster seats. So they're like, we got this part, right? What do I mean by being a booster? We've seen this before, right? Where James says, listen, use your tongue to build up, not destroy. Use your excess or anything extra that you have to actually serve others and to provide for others. But here's the thing he says that kind of got me. A couple years ago, maybe more than that, probably like 15 years ago now, Kristen Getty and her husband, I forget his name, he probably doesn't matter, but he writes with her too, right? They're famous for writing that In Christ Alone song. You've sung it, you love it, right? That song, right? And they were doing a hymn workshop at Messiah College. And I'm not sure how I ended up in the hymn workshop. I, I still don't know who told, like, Hank Johnson, go to a hymn workshop. But it was phenomenal. But at the end of the workshop, in her prayer, she said this. And at the time, I didn't know it was from the book of James. But I was just like, wow, that's a concept. But she says, God, forgive us for the good that we've left undone. And that stuck with me all these years later. And so James says, you know, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Matthew Henry puts it like this. The one that does not the good, they should be done, as well as the one who does the evil that should not be done, will be condemned. We do well to say, oh, that's bad, or that's sinful, or that's arrogant, or that's conceited and I shouldn't do it. We do well to stay away from that. But according to James, if there's good that you know you ought to be doing and you're not doing it, that too is sin. And so what James wants us to know that like not doing good you know you ought to be doing is sin. And remember, this is a book that he's founded on, Are You Loving God and Loving Your Neighbor? Right? When Jesus sends us out in the great commandment, right, he says, I want you to baptize them, but I want you to teach them everything I've taught you. Meaning that every single one of us are responsible for the good that God has gifted us to do. Every single one of us is responsible for the good that we know ought to be getting done. That's the work for all of us. Because the work for every single one of us, every single believer is what? To live for the kingdom to live for the kingdom. That's the work of your lifetime. You may be like a breath or a vapor, but so's the Holy Spirit, right? Like that's one of the ways we describe the spirit. So with every breath and vapor that you have, are you living and working for the kingdom? And now that seems really big, right? And one of my favorite analogies is what? How do we eat the elephant? One bite at a time, right? So how do we stay faithful and living for the kingdom? Well, I think one of the things we ought to be doing is praying. And I don't just mean praying before meals. And I don't just mean praying in times of crisis. And I don't just mean praying with our, our, our Santa Claus list, right? But I mean praying as in conversing and talking with God. How are you going to make plans for your future without having conversations with God? How are you going to make plans about where to live or, 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 or what church to go to or what job to take or, 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 or how to love your neighbor? How are you doing any of this 
without being in conversation with God. We must take time to pray every single day. Every single decision I have found in my life, right, that God normally asks me, do you trust me? And I'm quick to say yes. And God's even quicker to say, do you trust me now? Do you trust me now in this? Do you still trust me? So the work for us is, are we conversing and talking with God? Are we doing the time to pray? The second way if we're going to live for the kingdom is we have to do the inner work. One of the things I love about David wasn't just that God forgave him, right? Like David makes me feel good about myself. Like, he sinned and God loved him. That's my guy. We can hang, right? Not because I want to sin, because I want to be forgiven. I want to make sure we get that clear, you know? The thing I love about David and I think the reason he's a man after God's own heart isn't just because he sang these songs of praise, but I think it's because David gets it. Remember Psalm 139, right? This beautiful psalm where David talks about how God perfectly knows us, right? As a kid, I would read that. I'm like, wait a second. There's like 206 bones in the body, and if God knows the bone structure of these billions of people who ever existed, that's amazing. And one of my friends was like, no. But God knows the bone structure of all the people now and all the people who've ever lived. And I was like, whoa, right? And the third friend was like, no, 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 no. He knows now, the past, and the future. I'm like, wow, God is great, you know? That's what it took for me as a 12-year-old. But the thing here I'm saying is in Psalm 139, you'll learn that there's nothing we can do apart from God. We can't run from God. God perfectly knows us and everything. Yet in the midst or at the end of that psalm where David's like, praise you for perfectly knowing me, Right? At the end of that psalm, how does David say? He says, Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. That's the inner work. God may perfectly know you, but do you know you? And are you willing to surrender to the Spirit and ask the Spirit to do that every single day? Because not only are none of us perfect, and not only is the Spirit working on all of us, but we all have to do that inner work of saying, God, where do I fall short? Forgive me, heal me, almost resuscitate me and bring me back to life, right? Are we willing to do that inner work? So if you want to do this practically, it's simply this, right? Ask God to lead your plans. Ask the Spirit to direct your paths, right? And sometimes that might mean shining a light. Sometimes that might mean clearing the road so you can work through. Ask Jesus to remain the center of your life. Or if you just want to remember a phrase, ten cuidado, like Signora Bonet says. And the forever advice, as we ask God to lead our plans, the Spirit to direct our paths, and Jesus to remain at the center, the forever advice is simply this, trust God and rely on God alone. It's easy to trust in yourself or to rely on yourself. It's harder to submit and surrender every decision to the Spirit to put Jesus and keep Jesus at the center, to say, God, you are God alone, and you I will trust. Amen? I'd like to invite up Pastor Hannah and the worship team as we prepare to end our service with this last song, Take My Life. I'd like to also invite any of the pastors in the room to please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, maybe it's something you want to respond to in the sermon, or maybe it's, it's something you have going on in life. We'd love to pray for you for that. But as we sing this song, it might be a different melody than you're familiar with, but as we sing this song about asking Jesus to take our life, right? Take my life, right? I think it's important for us to realize that this should be for all of us an everyday decision. And every morning decision, every afternoon decision, and every evening decision. Lord, take me, mold me. Lord, I surrender to you. Let's stand and sing together.
Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the chapter 6 when Jesus calls us to not worry I think what's beautiful about that passage is that he's not saying worry will be forever you know like don't worry you're a bad person for worrying right 
But I think what's beautiful about that passage is he's telling us to take all that energy that we're putting into worry and to put it into him and to put it into trusting him and to realize that the things that matter the most, right, like the, the breath that we breathe or the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat, God takes care of it all. And he reminds us that not to worry because we have a God who loves us. Not to worry because we have a God who's working together for our good. Not to worry for we have a God who is good. Not to worry because we have a God who is going to be with us no matter what. So as we hold on to this idea of what it means not to worry, may we then put our energies and our focus in trusting and relying on God. Because all of us are meant to do the work of the kingdom. But none of us can do the work of the kingdom not in submission to the Spirit, not with Jesus, not at the center, double negative, and, and not with us trusting and relying on God our Father. Amen? Let's pray to God. Our Father, God, we thank you so much that in conversation with you, we learn not only who we are called to be, but we learn who you are. So, Lord, speak to us. Teach us how to listen. Teach us how to surrender. Teach us how to submit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for dwelling inside of us. We thank you for the transformation that you're doing now in us to transform us into the image of Jesus our Christ. And, Father, our God, we thank you that our plans are to be made with you for you are good. We thank you that we're not to, to, to presume or suppose that we know what's going on. Lord, we don't know what this day will bring. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But we thank you that we can trust the one who knows today and tomorrow and knows us. The one who's in today and tomorrow and in us. So, Father God, now as we leave, help us to be a people who pledge to live for the kingdom. So teach us how to hear from you. Teach us how to talk to you. Teach us how to be led by you. Holy Spirit, be with us now. Live in us. Transform us. Mold us into Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus our Christ, we pray that you may not only be the center, but you may stay the center. Lord, help us not to be planners who plan without you, and help us not to be planners who think we know what's going on. Let us rely on you always. Let us submit to you always. Let us trust you in all things. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.